episode of the Med Nation. This is Dr. Lanier. Today, Dr. Farnan will not be joining us. He's in surgery, but we'll have my friend Hayi help me interview Dr. Fabri. Today's episode, we invited Dr. Fabri, who is a primary care provider from Music City Primary Care, to talk about her path in medicine. Before we start the discussion, let me introduce Dr. Fabri. Dr. Fabri grew up in West Chester, Ohio. She attended the American University of the Caribbean School of Medicine in St. Martin. I'm sure that was fun. Then she completed internal medicine residency in Detroit, Michigan at the Wayne State University School of Medicine. During that time, she served as chief resident, outpatient medicine coordinator, and founded the Wayne State Internal Medicine Residency Wellness Program. After graduating residency in 2019, Dr. Fowry located and joined the Middle Tennessee Hostels Group at TriStar Skyline Medical Center. She is currently working at Music City Primary Care. She's also the founding member of Music City Primary Care. Welcome, Dr. Fabri. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Would you like to introduce Music City Primary Care to our guest? It's a new, less than one year old venture. Um, I have to give credit to you because it was your brainchild. But really, we started from ground zero in August. I would say mid-August is when we started. We were graciously welcomed by the Nashville Chamber of Commerce at the end of August. And since then, it's just been really a ground-up movement trying to provide primary care services to the Nashville area. I think our outreach has spread as we've continued to grow into the northern Nashville cities like Hendersonville, Gallatin. So I'm happy that our outreach is growing. But as a primary care doctor, I offer acute care services, so if you're not feeling well, you don't need to go to urgent care or emergency, but you can come to our primary care clinic, or if you're just looking to establish care, getting back into the swing of things after maybe being out of touch with health services for the past couple of years with the pandemic, getting back on track, making sure medications are up to date, if lab work, imaging, consults, screening needs to be done, we offer that as well. In addition to our medical services, we also are diving into the aesthetics. So I do offer cosmetic Botox injections. We have a clinical skincare line that we offer for sale. Uh, Jan Marini skincare is a nice supplement to our Botox. And then we also have IV fluid hydration and B12 injections. So the idea being, luckily partnered with Cutting Edge Foot and Ankle, it's a head-to-toe approach to medicine. See what we did there? <laughs> head-to-toe. We like that. So I know you're known for same-day appointments. Oh, yeah. And I think what's been really nice and what we've seen even more so in the last year after kind of COVID restrictions are changing, people need to get in to see their doctor. Maybe there's been a delay. Our urgent cares have been very overrun and overwhelmed. So what's nice about us being downtown in the central Nashville location is that you don't have to wait in line at urgent care for three hours. You can come in and uh, see us same day, no wait. There's no need to delay care any further. I think we've all waited long enough. I think two years is long enough. And so get back on track and you don't have to wait in a crowded waiting room. You can come and see us same day appointments. One of the things that I like about your reviews or your patients, you know, when I see them walking out is how they say, you know, you make them feel, you know, you make them feel part of a family. You listen to them. Do you, how do you find the mental state to be in that position, to be in a room with a patient for an hour, have that impact on patients? Thank you. That's a good question. And I, I hope that we give that environment where people feel free that they can talk and voice what's on their mind. One of the things 
a luxury in primary care is you actually do get to have that protected time with your patient, a face-to-face -face conversation that may not only extend to their medical care, but I find that a lot of the times people, we end up talking about whether it's stress at work, family, relationships, um, because it's all together. You know, you can't yeah. separate physical health from mental, emotional, spiritual health. So I do think one of the strengths and things about having your own PCP is like, you get to be with someone who gets to know you. So it is a relationship medicine. And those are, that's why I wanted to become a doctor. So I do try to offer that patience to people. I was always taught in residency, start your conversation with an open-ended question and just now it's your turn to be quiet. There's research that says if you are quiet for the first seven minutes of a patient encounter, they'll tell you everything you need to know. Oh, wow. So I do try to have that kind of clock in my head and just let them have the floor. This is their time. They made the appointment. They're taking time out of their day. I try to work on that together so we can have a nice open flow. I've been a patient and I've had patients or I've been a patient to doctors who I feel like are trying to diagnose you as soon as you walk in the room or try to finish your sentences and you're like, well, hear me out. This is this is where I'm coming from. So I hope that people walk away and feel like we don't do that to them and it's an open floor, open forum. Uh, yes, I think that's a great recommendation for other physicians that are listening too. So Dr. Farbri, how has it been, the, you, you know, your road to medicine? Did you know that you wanted to become an internist before medical school? Uh, no, I didn't even know what an internist was. <laughs> I actually went to medical school to be a psychiatrist. So when I was in high school, I started taking advanced psychology, and that's when I started really liking that actually abnormal psych. So I thought, I think I'm going to be a psychiatrist. So I actually went to college, got a psychology degree, did the pre-med requisites and went to med school with the intent to go into that field. Really wasn't soon after I started my anatomy course that I was like, no way am I going to do psych psychiatry. Like I, maybe I want to be a surgeon. So I, I changed my mind multiple times throughout the course of medical school. But one thing that I always came back to is I really liked internal medicine. I liked internal medicine because it covered everything. I felt like the doctors I worked with who were internists, I looked at them and thought, these are the smartest doctors I know, just because they had such a wide breadth of knowledge, which also included psychiatry. But what I found as I went through my different rotations is that I didn't really want to specialize. I wanted to be that person that kind of knew a little bit about everything. That's what internal medicine grants me. I feel like I'm constantly learning, even now. Yeah, is up to date your best friend? Up to date is my best friend, <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> I think it's up to date is everybody's friend. Um, uh, well, there's so much. It's like patients, and I'm sure bring things up to you, like, oh, have you heard about this? I'm like, I did not, because so much is changing in medicine. There's new medications for diabetes. There's weight loss medications, pain medicine, migraine, you name it. So much has changed. And it's like, uh, unless I've heard that name on a commercial whether, or radio, TV, I don't know. So it is, it's nice to have a resource where I'm like, hold on, let me uh, look that up real quick. I'll get back yeah, to Yeah, I can relate uh, in that aspect. When, when we are taking patient medication, patients' medication list in clinic for podiatry, and they come up with new diabetes medication, I was like, well, that's not metformin, that's not glipizide, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you're like, what's this? And I don't know who names these medications, because I feel like 
they're getting worse. I feel like everything has a Z and a Q or something in it. And so half the time I have a patient who's like, have you heard of this? And I said, no, I don't even know how to spell that. (laughs) Okay. So Dr. Faber, before you did your medical school training, you studied psychology and you kind of figure out what you want to do during your training. Um, Mm -hmm. When would you say was a turning point for you in your career that you decided I'm going to go into internal medicine or primary care and was I mean I'm not in I'm not a doctor so I'm just very honest and want to know was money a factor in your decision making because I do know for specialist doctors from the outside um, the surgery and stuff they do make more money than primary care mm-hmm. so I just wanted to know was money a factor in your decision making so I'll answer that in three parts so the first part um, I knew I wanted to do internal medicine. It wasn't until the end of my third year. Um, I would say going through medical school, I kept a very open mind because I felt like every new subject, I'm like, I like this. I like this. Maybe I'll do cardiology. Maybe I'll do surgery. Now, I don't know if I can do surgery. I went back and forth. I went, I thought maybe I'll do neurology. Maybe, maybe I'll do peds. So part of medical school is once you get into your third year, um, you do clinical rotations through the big um, divisions of medicine, if you will. So internal medicine, pediatrics, OB-GYN, um, surgery, psychiatry. So my first rotation was internal medicine and I really liked it, but I also had in the back of my mind, like you're just at the beginning of this year, you know, you don't know what you're going to maybe like more down the line. So I always had it kind of bookmarked in my head, but I really didn't make that decision until the end of the third year after I went through all the rotations and said, okay, internal medicine's my favorite. I still keep going back to it. It was my most enjoyable. I was happiest there. So second part of the question, going into internal medicine kind of offers you a couple different avenues. I didn't know I wanted to do primary care. I actually thought I would be happy in the hospital. I thought I would like the pace of the hospital more. I get to see more emergencies, more acute triage, but I found in the hospital, and maybe that could be my experience is different, you know, working at a Nashville hospital, working at a very busy city, high trauma level, cardiac center, neuro center, the hospitalist is very overwhelmed. So I am seeing a lot of patients, I'm seeing a lot of diversity of pathology, but I'm not really even getting to know my patients. It kind of felt like I just knew them as room numbers. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that first feeling when I was doing my internal medicine rotation, I felt like I really got to know the patients and um, know them completely in their medical history. In the hospital, I just felt like I was doing, okay, band-aids on things. I'm going to treat this and then we'll go to the next thing. And I didn't like that. I felt like I was falling out of love with medicine. And so that's when I gave my notice. And I was luckily lucky enough to have Dr. Lanier, who it was her idea. She offered, she's like, would you like a total change? Would you want to do primary care? That's not what I originally thought I would do, but I will say I am so happy to be in primary care. It has reminded me why I went into medicine in the first place. I like being able to know my patients, get to know them. My biggest compliment is when they share their friends and family with us, and then I end up treating a whole family. I just love that. That's what I that's what I like about being in medicine. And to be honest, you can't put a price on that. I know that sounds very cliche. 
but if I wanted to make money, I wouldn't be a doctor. <laughs> I would go and be an in- engineer or an accountant or business or something. Or a CEO, um, you know. Or a CEO or, a hospital, <laughs> or go into hospital administration or something like those people. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, the medical system is tough. We're at the mercy of insurance companies. You know, people right now, especially, are very strapped and they're like, sometimes they can't even pay their medical bills, but they need medical services. So, yeah, they can't I even think, pay their copay sometimes. Yes, exactly. And you're like, how do you not have $25? Yeah. Like, well, I have to put that $25 towards my gas bill or what have you. So, I honestly, the biggest thing for me in medicine is just the quality of life that I walk away happy at the end of the day and say, okay, and I can rest my head at night saying, I did a good job. I'm happy with my choices and I can wake up and do it again. So, no, but, uh, you know, I know there are different specialties that, yes, they pay more, but there's always that, and Dr. Lanier can speak to this, there's always that cost benefit analysis. You know, cardiologists make a lot of money, but cardiologists are always on call. And they're overworked, you know. And they're overworked. Yeah, I, the quality of life is it something that you want, you know? Right. Um, I can relate to you. You're, you're talking about not being able to connect with your patients, seeing 30 patients in the hospital. I run into one of uh, hospitals today, and he said, "I don't have time to speak to patients' families because I have to no. see all those patients." I, I see seeing you in the hospital and seeing you in the clinic is a difference to me. You're happy, you know, you're energetic. You, you love that when patients are coming and you love that when patients leave reviews. I, I can tell that you love the connection and, you know, clinic setting uh, comparing to the hospital setting. Thank you. You know what? Thank you. Because you're probably the only person who's seen me in both settings, actually. Right. <laughs> so that means that, thank you for saying that. I think I heard that from a lot of people, even like travel nurses, like a lot of people, they switch to travel nursing because they get to, you know, only focus on taking care of patients instead of dealing with like a lot of things going on at one hospital, like the right. politics behind that. And a lot of nurses also mentioned they're so burnt out. And we also receive emails from different nurses. They said they're looking for a career change switch mm-hmm. from hospital setting to outpatient setting just because they're so overworked, especially during the past two years. Yeah. I And it's hard because you're like, I wish I could have all of you come here, but it's just a time thing. And I've been surprised by the outreach we've gotten from nurse practitioners being like, I just need to do something different. I mean, I even know physical therapists who are looking into maybe doing aesthetics or um I don't know, kind of like maybe more of like a concierge personal physical therapy, just because every aspect of the hospital is so at their wits end right now. Right. And it's, it's very difficult. I wish I could say like one thing is the cause of it, but I just feel like at this point, we're just so understaffed. It's been so difficult to get back to that census where we have enough nurses for every bed in the hospital. And with that, you know, you have to have the nurse managers, you have to have custodians to clean the room you have to have health uh not the health but the nutrition services it's just it trickles down to every little facet you don't even think about it yeah it affects everything so what would you say is the most um significant medical condition you have seen in primary care world i would have to say um in terms of what i've been surprised about primary care is I'm getting back to my psychology degree. I've seen a lot of mental health and that can range from anxiety, whether that's social anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, um, panic disorders, 
depression, PTSD. There's been a lot of strain, I feel like, in the past, I, I mean, I can only speak to like, you know, the past six months or so that we've been open, but it sounds like people have been struggling with a lot of stress, whether that's unearthed, like previous mental traumas. Um, and a lot of them are coming to primary care to seek help with that. So that also speaks to primary care as it's kind of your gatekeeper. People don't often know where to find help or where to find resources. And so I'm happy to do that for people because take mental health. Mental health is a very personal subject, depending on um, maybe there was past abuse or um, some trauma that people are now feeling like they're reliving. They need to feel comfortable discussing that with someone, but they also need to be in the right setting to um, say they're willing to accept treatment and move forward with it. And that might not be a traditional psychiatrist. You know, they may want to talk in group therapy or they may want to look into a life coach. So as primary care, I feel like I do try to gather resources to find the best fit for patients uh, in that regard, as far as different referrals, so we can offer that to them. I always look at us as a home base. So you may go out and see those referrals, but ultimately you can always come back here if you need help with medication management or um, lab works or whatever, you name it. Um, but I would say the mental health aspect has been pretty overwhelming. I agree. I personally seek for uh, mental health help like during COVID, during the quarantine myself. And I my friend basically told me, I feel like you need to seek for help. And I think a lot of people just, it's still a taboo thing to talk about with your friends. I'm glad I have mm -hmm. a support system of my own, but a lot of people out there, they they probably can only trust their primary care provider right. to talk about this kind of stuff. I agree. And culturally, not a lot of people are open to seeing you know, a mental health counselor. It's a taboo right. culture. So. Yeah, or they feel judged, or they think, yeah. well, if I'm doing that, I'm, you know, I think it also goes to the severity. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I don't need it that bad. It's like, you can't really, and that's, a, that's a mental block that I think we ourselves have to get over. And it's just the way our society is looking at mental health. I'm, I feel like we're making strides because more people are talking about it, oh, but still the mental health services are lacking. I think we need more. We need more. I agree. So after talking about the medical significant medical conditions you have seen in primary care world, what about a significant challenge in primary care setting? You just recently started this practice. Have you faced any challenges running the practice? Well, that varies day to day. It depends. I would say the biggest thing just because we're starting from ground zero really is just letting people know where we are. There's so many people I talk to just on a social basis and they'll ask me what I do. And they're like, Oh man, I need a new primary care provider. And you're like, uh-huh, I'm, I'm right. I'm right here. I'm your so, neighbor. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just right down the street. So yeah. it's one thing to like, let people know, but it's also getting them in the door. I think primary care is something people put off. They're like, I can just go see them next year before you know it, you're 50 and you've never had blood work or a colonoscopy. So anyway, I just think that with kidney failure, you know, right. Or, and then you're like, Oh, I didn't know my cholesterol was that bad. And 
what I've seen too is people who are seeking their pr first primary care doctor later in life, you know, I do a full workup. We make sure they're all up to date on screening. And ultimately I may find you're pre-diabetic, your cholesterol is high and you have a high chance of cardiovascular disease over the next 10 years. And then they walk out of the doctor's office with three new medications and they're like, well, this is why I don't go to the doctor. I don't want to take all these medicines. <laughs> because you deliver, I think from, uh, I'm, I'm fairly, you know, younger than some people here. Yeah, she's a spring chicken. No. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the younger generation. So I can speak for my friends, our perspective on primary care, I think it's because we look healthy, you know, we work mm -hmm. out, we eat healthy, we take care of ourselves, why do I need to go see a primary care provider, primary care providers really need to convince those younger generations where they, they look healthy, uh, why do they need to come see you? And you know, you shift it's, it's also our culture as the United States too. I think we're all like, oh, we're all fine until we're not. And maybe that's why we're overwhelming the ERs, you know, so much. I saw that as a hospitalist. I thought a lot of this could be prevented if you went and saw your doctor. Oh yeah, well, I knew I was supposed to take my blood pressure meds, but I just didn't feel like going. And so then you end up with a stroke, right. fill in the blank. So I think we have to shift our perspective to not being so reactive to medicine. So not only going to see a doctor when we're sick, but rather being proactive and saying, I am well, how do I stay well? Right, right. So it's shifting from acute care to focus on preventative care. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why primary care is so important and primary care providers are so important just to spread the awareness of functional medicine. Oh yeah, because we, you know, I don't want you to go to the hospital. I don't want you to go to urgent care. We want- It's also more expensive to go right. to those- Yes, places. exactly. An ER bill or even an ambulance ride to the ER is very expensive. So how do we avoid that? And there's so much new technology now, like take, a, take a genetic testing, for example. Now we can test for cancers from a genetic basis. I mean, you can get screened. It's even covered by insurance for 36 different cancer genes. And then you can say, okay, well, now I know. Then that information's in your hands and knowledge is power. So now I know I have this gene, so I'm going to get scanned early. Maybe you'll catch something earlier, maybe even prevent it, rather than I'm going to just sit and wait and see what happens. Yes, a yearly checkup can save a lot. Yes, oh yes. Let's stop talking about being sick, being in a hospital. Let's talk about your experience in the Caribbean. Well, that's way more fun. So um, I went to American University of the Caribbean, which is in St. Martin. There's actually a lot of medical schools in the Caribbean, which I didn't know until I kind of went down this path. I, I'm from Ohio, so I did try to get into some Ohio med schools. Ended up being waitlisted on a couple of schools, and I am not a patient person. And so I was like, I'm not going to do the waitlist route. I'm actually, I want to go into something now. I don't want to skip a beat. I want to finish my undergrad. I want to go to med school. And so I looked into Caribbean schools. St. Martin, in my opinion, was the best island to live on. It definitely, it's half Dutch, half French. I mean, the food alone, I still miss the food the most and just the entertainment you know, I thought, here you're going to med school, which is a very heavy thing. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a nice place and have things to do around you so you could keep that balance? I actually visited the school before I committed to it. My parents were like, you're not going to go live on a rock in the middle of the ocean unless you go see it first. And mm -hmm. so I got to like talk to the students there, talk to some of the professors, and it was a great feel. I loved it. I would definitely recommend it if people feel like they're kind of stuck. They don't know which way to go in their med school paths. They get waitlisted or maybe so much has changed with like 
I don't know, the way classes are structured and I know schools are different as far as how many students they're taking or what whatever your situation is. The Caribbean schools are great. It's still an American school, so it's accredited with American universities. So all my professors were U.S. professors and we also had professors who traveled. So we'd have professors from Dartmouth, Harvard, you know, we'd have those Ivy League professors as well as just regular state schools. So you kind of got a really wide breadth of education. Plus, then you could just go to the beach right across the street from the med school. So when we were done with class, we'd walk down to the beach. That's amazing. I have heard from a couple of my friends, you know, when you go to those Caribbean schools, you come back to take the boards and uh, some people fail it. Is that that something that you know? Uh, That's true. I don't think it's any more than the U.S. failure rate. I would say the Caribbean med students, we are still considered even though I'm a U.S. citizen, we're still considered a foreign medical graduate because we went to a foreign medical school. So the foreign medical graduates are held to a higher standard as far as their testing to compete with U.S. med students. So when we were practicing for the boards, like we were told, you know, you'd have to score 10 points higher than a U.S. student your same level to be competitive. So um, there was a lot of pressure on us. Not everybody stood up to the pressure, but we have a very good success rate. I want to say, because don't quote me on this, I don't know the percentages, but it's over 90%. So we have a good deal yeah, that passed. That's, that's good. That's a good percentage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're wrapping up. I mean, we usually ask this question to our guests, which is a pun. Do you have any pun, primary care uh, pun that you can share to our audience? Like a joke? Like a joke, yes. Well, it's not a primary care joke, but it's like a funny kind of healthcare joke. Okay. Okay. So this woman was crossing the street one day and she ended up getting hit by a car. They took her to the hospital. She was praying to God, you know, please save my life. She's on the tipping point. They had to take her to major surgery, did a whole head to toe revamp. And she's just praying the whole time, like, God, please save me. And he said, to her, it's okay, ma'am, it is not your time to go, you know, I got you. So she comes out of surgery, and she's really a brand new person, feels amazing, she looks amazing, they did plastic surgery, the whole thing. So she leaves the hospital, boom, gets hit by an ambulance, <laughs> dies and goes to heaven. And she tells God, she's like, what gives? I thought we had a, I thought we had a, a deal. Agreement. It wasn't my time to go. And he's like, sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know if any plastic surgeons are out there listening to this. <laughs> That's a good one. Good one. I was kind of wondering where the story is going to go. I didn't know it's going to go that way, but that was a good one. Thank well, you. Dr. Farby, thank you so much for taking your time to come join us today. Oh, this was fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, guys. This is Med Nation. Listen to more episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Med Nation. Bye.